Uh, well, we have a really special um, uh, testimony. Before I uh, introduce her, um, we're going to go ahead and read the scripture. We'll pray, and then we'll introduce uh, Jen to you, who is an awesome woman of God. So go ahead, if you would, and flip with me to uh, Genesis chapter 1, right in the beginning, really easy to find, right in the beginning of your Bible there, verses 27 and 28. I'll wait for you to get there. All right. So God created human beings in his own image. The image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over it, the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And then go ahead and flip with me also to chapter 2, verses 21 through 24 a little ways down there. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out of one of man's ribs and closed up the opening. And then the Lord God made woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last the man exclaimed, This is the bone of my bone, the flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and the wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now also flip with me over to Romans chapter 1. Romans is right after the Gospels, right after Acts, actually. Chapter 1, verses 24 through 27. I'll wait for you to get there. So God abandoned them to whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against their natural way to have sex and indulge. In, in sex with each other, and the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we thank you that your word is alive and living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. God, we thank you, Lord, that you have the ability, Lord, to soften hearts this, uh, this evening, Lord, and to speak through myself and Jen in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to introduce you a, a girl named Jen Duvel, and she is a part of our leadership team here at the church. She's been coming for a few months. She's a solid woman of God who have a, has an incredible testimony to share. So would you welcome Jen with me, please? How's it going, guys? Good. Good. Good to see some of you, some of you for the second time. I'm just going to... big study Bible. Um, getting serious here. Um, so I'm just here to share with you guys uh, the awesome work that the Lord has done in my life, um, throughout my life, but I'm going to focus specifically on the last year and a half mainly. And um, God has just taken my life from a, a, a path of emptiness and sorrow and um, just short-term gratification, and he's just transformed it into a life of peace and abundance. Um, I struggled with uh, 
my sexuality um, for about nine years, almost. Um, I lived mainly in the lesbian lifestyle. I would say on and off because in between, you know, I would date guys to kind of try to talk myself out of it. But for the most part, I sought my emotional needs through um, through women and through romantic relationships for most of my adult life. And this started when I was about 17. Um, my mom died when I was 11, and then shortly thereafter, my godmother, who who raised me, her name was Grace. Um, she got breast cancer, and so around this time. I was about 17 years old. I was playing club basketball, and um, for the first time, I had actually been introduced to gay people. I didn't even know what gay was. I had gone through Christian schooling, and um, I knew about marriage. I knew about God's word. I just, I really had never met someone who was gay, and so I began to get to know my teammates, and I thought, man, these girls are cool, and I just felt a lot of love, a lot of acceptance, and they were just different than my Christian friends. Um, They weren't judgmental. They, we didn't, um, they just didn't talk about, they weren't boring. Okay? They just weren't boring. Because when you're in high school, um, it's, it's a lot based on how much you can be entertained. So I just <laughs> I really connected with these girls and um, later developed uh, a crush on one of the girls and from there just began experimenting sexually um, with her. And, and that, was short, that relationship was short-lived, um, but, but my path towards that lifestyle wasn't. And soon after that, um, Grace, she passed away, and that was my freshman year of college. And so at this point, I was confused. I had these feelings. I knew what the Bible said. Um, so, but I didn't know that there was another option. So I continued to go to school. It was my senior year. I didn't share with anyone anything. I think I told one friend, um, and that was the girl that did drugs because I knew she couldn't judge me. <laughs> so I told her, um, thanks, Christine, if she's watching. Um, she was awesome, and she just loved me through it. And she said, okay, that's, that's all right. You know, we all struggle with things. And, and um, from there, that confusion then turned into comfort. Um, I started playing basketball in college, and about 11 out of my 14 teammates were gay. So um, this confusion turned into just acceptance, and um, I received a lot of love, a lot of embracing, a lot of just, um, they accepted me right where I was at. And um, a lot of great friends, people that I still talk to today, but definitely kind of just, I made my own decision to, to live out what I wanted to live out, but yet it was just normalized to me. Um, everyone that I looked up to in my life was gay. So I was like, okay, well, I feel this lack of peace, but... Um, it looks like this might work out. Maybe when I get older, things will kind of settle down and I'll feel more peace. So I got older, um, and, I, and I started to feel less and less peace. And so for the next eight or so years, I just continued to kind of feel that emotional need, those abandonment issues from my mom, and just the lack of a family. I started to fill that with, with people, relationships. Um, and I was just, the Lord just really showed me that I was just like this cup, right, like a styrofoam cup. And I don't know if you guys have ever gone to get a cup of coffee and there's just a slight hole in the bottom of that cup and it leaks everywhere and God just showed me that I just, my life had been slowly, I was like this cup just leaking. So I would continue to put things in my life, whether it was relationships or drugs, alcohol, athletics, education, I just found my identity in other things and they would last for a little bit, my cup would be full, but it would always leak at the bottom. And so I remember before my last relationship with with a woman, I thought, you know, all right, I keep going from person to person. Maybe this last person. Maybe if this doesn't work out, God, then maybe it's me. Maybe it's not this person. And I promise, God, if this one doesn't work out, I, I will try something else. Okay? So this started to not work out. And along with that, um, the Lord just kind of took his hand off of my life, my emotional health, my physical health. I had everything on the outside that I could want. I had a condo. I was about 24, 25 years old at this time. I had a, a a great job in Phoenix. I had a little dog. I had everything that was just kind of what you would expect the American dream to be, but I was just so, so empty. And I knew it was deeper than my sexuality. I knew that there was something more to life than who I would end up with, but I didn't know how to get to that point. And so um, I began to pray, you know, God, 
if I truly, if I call myself a Christian, but yet there's nothing in my life, I don't have this peace and this joy, um, you know, maybe I don't know you, and, and maybe there's more to life than this. And so I prayed, God, if this is all Christianity is, then take my life, because I don't want to live like this. I don't want to live with this anxiety and this depression and this emptiness. And so he answered that prayer. Um, during that next week, I had a friend call me on the way to work, and um, she happened to be one of my two friends that used to be gay that ended up following the Lord. And they went out to the school in San Diego, and um, it was a discipleship program where you spend time just reading the word and praying and getting to know people. And I thought that they went into a cult because they were gone for so long and they were just like so different and just so fun. And I was just like, what's going on in San Diego, California? <laughs> and they began to just pour their love out onto me. They did not judge me where I was at. They didn't say, hey, we used, you know, we used to do this and now we don't. They just, just loved me and they spoiled me with their love. They would call me and they were just so involved in my life. How's, how are things going? How's your job going? How's your relationship? They would hang out with me and my girlfriend. They just simply loved on me and they cared and, and through that I saw living an act of God mm. through them and, and that's what started to lead me to repentance and at this point I thought man maybe I don't know God and so she prayed for me that morning one of those two friends and from there I felt God say move to San Diego and I said absolutely not um, I have this great job you don't understand I just bought this condo I'm in debt my dog and, and most importantly, my relationship. That was what gripped me the most. I could leave everything else, but I could not leave that relationship. That was my stability. Um, and so God gave me the strength to move. It was that or stay in the misery I was in. And so within two weeks, my car was packed up and my dog came with me and we began to travel up to San Diego. And from that moment, the Lord just completely transformed my life. I began to walk in obedience, um, even when I didn't feel like it. Uh, I began to read his word and just be around people daily that cared about my life. Um, they didn't judge me. They just accepted me where I was at, and I had people above me that were just pouring their life into me. And I began to see that Jesus just showed me I never knew him in the first place. He said, you know, yeah, maybe you went to a Christian school, but you have no clue who I am, and um, that's not other people's fault. You know, now it's up to you. You can take all those preconceived notions, and now it's up to you. Are you going to follow me now that you've seen who I really am? And he just completely began to turn, turn my life around, and through other people, through relationships, I felt Jesus's love and acceptance. And I didn't come to Jesus to be heterosexual. Mm -hmm. I came to him to have a, an active and living relationship with the one who created me. And that's what freed me, was I didn't have to fit into a norm of what a woman should be. I didn't have to go find a man. I didn't have to go start a family. Those things are great. Do I want to get married? Absolutely. If you're single, raise your hand. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, <laughs> but that's the reality. But it's not the only reason for living. And I thank God that our sexuality is not the only reason for living. I thank God that he created us for so much more. So he just began to free me and, and through this um, just began to show me who I, really, who I really am in him and has given me a burden to share this with the gay community. And so on Saturday nights, um, we usually go down to Hillcrest and just hand out water bottles and just develop relationships down there and tell people, hey, Jesus loves you. Um, sometimes people want to ask questions. Sometimes they want to debate. Um, you know, most of the time it's shock. And it's uh, a, a lot of acceptance. People are just glad to know that Jesus actually does indeed love them and there is hope. Yeah. There is hope for more than a relationship. And so this week when I heard I had to give my testimony, I was like, oh, okay, let's be good and, and kind of excited for that. And then on Saturday I got some really, really difficult news. And my best friend called me. This was the one that actually had prayed for me originally. So she called and said, hey, buddy, um, I love you. I said, Okay. What's, what's up? And she said, you should sit down. And I said, okay. So I sat and she said, um, you know, your ex is, is getting married. 
this Friday. And I was just shocked. I said, you know, okay. You know, I freaked out a little bit and just began to wrestle with God. Like, man, I don't want to live this lifestyle, but I still love this person. I still just, the, the feelings of jealousy came up and just the feelings of abandonment. Ultimately, I felt like this person had abandoned me in the friendship. And um, God just began to show me that he is the only one who's going to be faithful, that Jesus Christ is the only one that's never going to leave you or forsake you. Man or woman, married, whatever sexuality issue is going on, Jesus is the only one who won't leave you. And so he began to just comfort me in this grief and just say, it's okay, grieve it, grieve this relationship, Jen. And um, he didn't, I didn't feel ashamed, I didn't feel like he was angry at me, I just felt like God understood. He said, I know what it's like to have someone to leave you, he, get, he gets it. And so he led me to a few scriptures this week. Um, as I was preparing, and the first one is John chapter 12, verse 24 through 26. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. And God just showed me that that seed is just dying that seed of just abandonment and um, relationships and seeking people for my affirmation, that he has to just, I have to let that seed die. And if this is the way it dies, then this is the way it dies. And, and from there he gave me hope. He led me to Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And he just gave me hope that in order to do a new thing, he has to get rid of the old thing. And sometimes when you get through the old thing, yeah. it hurts and your issues come up and you might go a little psycho for a little bit. You might get sad or depressed. But um, ultimately, in order to have a new thing, you have to have the old thing removed. And um, finally, just as I was grieving this week and kind of wrestling with God over um, that friendship, he led me to Psalm 84. And he actually led me to this. It was interesting. when I, I couldn't sleep and I was just really frustrated and really anxious. And um, he said, open up your Bible. And so... I have this really small book light and so I'm like struggling with this book light to see and my dog I have a pug so he's like snoring next to me and I'm like okay I'm gonna look this up and it, it, it's awesome um, I thank God for, for showing me this blessed is the man whose strength is in you whose heart is set on pilgrimage as they pass through the valley of Baca they shall make it a spring the rain also covers it with pools and I don't know if you guys know what the valley of Baca is but it's the valley of weeping so God just said, this is a time of, of weeping and mourning. And um, David goes on to say that they make it a spring. And so in order to make this a spring, um, I heard a speaker this, this week talking about this. You have to like, dig it up mm -hmm. and actually get the water from underneath it. And now is the time where I'm going to be in a valley of weeping, but I can dig deep. And I know yeah. that that's where there will be that spring and that Jesus will comfort me in this. And he's just shown me that he will not forsake me in this. Um, he is not angry at me. He's, he is right here with me and that he has a plan for my life that is so much bigger and my sexuality. So mm -hmm. Thank you guys for your time. Yeah. How many of you know it's not easy sometimes to share the things, whether it's past or present, that you struggled with? So really appreciate people that can be open and vulnerable enough to talk about their issues. Um, and I really uh, think that's an awesome testimony. Um, so now that we've read the scriptures, uh, we've heard Jen's testimony, um, what, what, is, what do these scriptures mean? Okay, so we have, um, I have a few points here um, that I think that, you know, bear with me through the end, because I, I, I bash on one person just as, next, just as much as I bash on the other. I don't really bash on anybody, I'm just kidding. Um, but no, um, 
<laughs> the Bible talks about in Genesis, um, and it's talking about this relationship and how God created man and woman in his likeness. What does that mean? That means it's in the image of God. And, and the cool thing about it is that he didn't just create man and say, okay, that's good, and that's a good representation of me. He also created woman. So that, um, I know sometimes you can see in the New Testament where it talks about the Holy Spirit, it talks about how he's a counselor or how he's a teacher, how he's a comforter, or he's an advisor. So a lot of these traits that can be seen in a mother or in a woman. So sometimes we get so focused on he's a father and he judges and he's powerful and he's mighty. And, and yes, those are some of the attributes of God, but we also begin to recognize that he has a feminine side too in his Holy Spirit. And so he, he created both of these so that they could be an equal representation of who he is. And so um, what, it, what, is that, what does that mean? It means that God created in this, and, and it said he created in, in his image, and then he talks about how he created man and then a man and woman to be together um, as man and wife. And it, it's like he gave us kind of a blueprint, if you will, a blueprint or a manual for life. I thank God for this book because if it wasn't for this book, I would still be a lost sheep trying to find my way, and, and I wouldn't have any, anything to follow, any guidelines. Okay, So that's why he gives that to us. So number one, homosexuality is not God's ideal or his original intention. The reason why we have this is so we, we have something to strive for. We know what to look at and say, okay, um, this is supposed to live my, I'm supposed to live my life like this. Uh, here's this line here and here's that line here. It's not because God is a mean God. It's not because he wants you know, to watch you as you stumble and as you fall and as you fail um, and as you try so much. It's because he knows that he wants the absolute best life possible for you. It's not because even you're a sinner. It's not because your past is so terrible that he had to die for you. It really is because your future is so bright, it's so powerful, it's so awesome. He has such a great plan and such a great destiny for each and every one of us. He said, here, I want to give you a road map to be able to get to that destiny, to be able to accomplish and fulfill your, uh, the, w I, the will that I have for your life. Um, it also talks about um, in Romans how when it was talking about the natural relations, sometimes I think um, the scripture can be misinterpreted. Um, it says, um, they suffered within themselves the penalty did they deserved. It doesn't say like God put plagues on them. No, it's talking about that lack of peace. It says the struggle within themselves. There was a penalty within themselves because the penalty in being apart from God is just a lack of peace. It's simply just a lack of peace. There's a void there. There's a hole there. We don't understand. I'm not just talking about the homosexual right now. I'm talking about the person who struggles with alcoholism, the person who struggles with that. Whatever you're trying to fill the hole with, it just keeps leaking. Come on, somebody, you know what I'm talking about, where I, I lived my life in the world for a long time, and I said the same thing. And when I came to Christ, I remember telling my husband, I said, I feel like I'm seeing in color for the first time. For the first time in my life, I feel like, wow, this is what, I didn't notice those flowers before. I didn't know those, notice those trees before. Man, things are alive that never were alive before. And the penalty from walking away from God is, yeah, you can do your own thing, and he gave you the free will to do that, and you can, and you can choose whether or not you believe choose whether or not you know, to believe in the, in, the, in the word and the principles of the Bible. But the reality is, apart from God, I, I, you know what? Yeah, there's certain feelings about sin that's good. The Bible says sin does feel good for a moment. But I wouldn't trade that lifestyle if any day for the peace that surpasses understanding that I can experience, that fills that void, that fills that heart, that gives you that fulfillment um, in your life. And so uh, I, I want to just make that clear, that God is not a God that's trying to um, you know, give us these unrealistic expectations and then not give us the power and the strength to be able to 
fulfill those expectations. So without the grace of God, where would I be? Without the grace of God, where would each and every one of us be? It would be about laws. It would be about legalism. It would be about rules and things you can't do and things, you know, and I I don't know about you, but I don't want to focus on the things that I can't do. It's like dieting. It just doesn't work because when you focus on that so much and you're like thinking about, I've never actually been on a diet. I have the same body since I was about 12 years old. Um, (laughs) Other than when I was pregnant, that was kind of fun. But, um, But I have done like fast, like we did the Daniel fast this week. And man, when my daughter, she got a, a cut on her eye this week, we had to go to the hospital and we're like, man, you can have anything you want. You can have flowers, ice cream, candy, whatever you want. You know, we just felt so bad for her and she was being so good. And so we got her a happy meal. And they brought, and my husband brought that happy meal in. And I have, I have never wanted to snatch food out of my daughter's hand so bad in my life. I saw that cheeseburger and I was like, you can have yours later because I'm eating this one. I was like, I want to just shove that in my mouth. But I know when you fo- focus on food so much, it's like, I can't eat this. I can't eat this. I can't eat this. I can't. You're eventually going to fail and you're going to eat it because you're thinking about it so much. So if this is your experience with Christianity, if this is what you've experienced where you say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but that's your religion and that's you know what you maybe mark down at the hospital when you're in the ER, yeah, I'm Christian. No, no, no. There's more to it than that. There's a peace that comes on the inside of you that fills you up that is greater than anything that you can possibly fill it up with other than him amen all right so um there's a lot of uh other scriptures in the bible that talk about homosexuality but for the sake of time we don't have time to get into those but if you would like to reference those you can go ahead and get your pen out um there's some other references some of them are are very highly um, misquoted like leviticus 18:22, um where it talks about homosexuals um it's it, it the misquoted version is, oh, homosexuals are an abomination. No, homosexuals are not an abomination. It specifically says it, like the action it is an abomination to the Lord, just like any other sin is an abomination to the Lord. So Leviticus 18.22 is one, if you want to look that one up. 1 Corinthians 6, uh, verses 9 through 11. And then also you can read the story in Genesis uh, chapter 19 about Sodom and Gomorrah if you choose to do that. Um, number two, is homosexuality a sin? These are uh, questions that you uh, wanted answered, so we're going to try our best to answer those. Um, But before I answer that, I feel like I need to address what sin is, because I feel like we have a a big misunderstanding about what sin is. When I was, uh, didn't know Christ, I thought, okay, well, if I could just stop sleeping with my boyfriend, and if I could just stop partying on the weekends and drinking, then I'm going to be like super pure and I'm going to be like totally like an angel and I'm going to be God's favorite because I don't have any other sin in my life at that time. Okay, that is not realistic. The Bible says um, in Psalms 19 chapter 12, who can discern his ears? Forgive me for my hidden faults. This is David that's speaking. David, who said the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. This is like one of, um, you know, he was working on his salvation. He was praying. He was prophesying. He was singing songs. And yet he still says, God, forgive me for the things that I don't even know that are inside of me. Every once in a while, I'll pray that prayer just to clear the air because I know that there's some thoughts and intents of my heart that aren't always right. And maybe just because I'm not necessarily getting drunk on the weekends anymore. No, there's still sin in each and every one of our, our, our lives. And so if, um, a lot of the misconception, too, is does sin mean that I'm going to hell? Okay, if, if you sin, if that means that you're going to hell, then every single person in this room is going to hell, okay? And that's just not 
not a realistic depiction of what sin is. No, sin doesn't mean that you're going to hell. We're all sinners, the Bible says, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. I even, um, when we call it the sinner's prayer and we pray that prayer, I even sometimes feel a little uncomfortable saying, okay, um, just repeat after me, um, Jesus, I come to you because I'm a sinner. And I feel like they're like, what? (laughs) Wait a second. No, no, who are you calling a sinner? Because they don't understand. No, 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 we are all sinners. I'm not saying that because I'm putting a label on you or I'm, I, you know, I have a sneak peek into your bedroom, you know, and I know what you're doing. No, I'm saying that because I recognize that if we don't recognize that we're sinners, if we don't recognize that, man, there's things that we don't even know about in our hearts. Maybe our life is uh, cleaned up. Maybe yours is. Mine is certainly not. But if we recognize that there are things inside of us that if only, f- if it's not for the grace of God, then it's just, they're, they're not going to be right. And it's just going to lead us down a path, a path even just inside of ourselves, even if it doesn't manifest outside of ourselves. How many of you know it's not fun to live in unforgiveness because you're thinking about it constantly and you're the only one thinking about that person has moved on believe me they're not thinking about it but you're the one who's trapped in the bondage of unforgiveness so um so to answer your question here First of all, um, I want to address a, a little something. We need to stop using um, Christian jargonese, or Christianese jargon, okay? So stop using these, uh, these terminologies to explain things. And somebody asks you a question, um, you know, and I'm guilty of it. Um, we just say, well, you just need Christ's redemption power from you know the holy trinity that his blood was shed for and you're just like what are you talking i'm a christian i don't even know what you're talking about okay so we need to we need to learn how to start relating to people in a relevant way and being able to explain what sin is okay so um it's really not about being fallen or uh, or, or about being uh you know failing um it's really about being forgiven okay it's really about how much we have been forgiven it's really all about him it's all about his grace it's all about his mercy. Um, Come on, somebody, you know that you have experienced that. Thank God for his grace. Um, So to answer your question, yes, it is a sin, but it's not any different than heterosexual fornication, okay, which a lot of us probably have been guilty of, um, So, which means a man and a woman sleeping together before they're married, Um, or it's no different from the list of sins that it gave, um, gossip or slander, okay? How many of us are guilty of that? And uh, what I want to say is at least the world is is half the time real about it, and at least so, like, I'll go to work, and they'll be like, hey, you want to hear some gossip? And I'm like... No, but they're just like, hey, let's let's just gossip, you know? And in the church, it's like disguised under the pretense of a prayer request. We say, okay, I really need you to pray for this person because they did this and this and this, and I totally saw them looking at this person, and guess what? He was like opening, you know, her door for her, and I think something's going on, and there's a little bit of gossip and slander within the four walls of the church that's just as destructive um, as any other sin. Um, so... The thing about sin, I think the misconception about it is is that it's about behavior. And if we just get certain behaviors right, then we'll be pure and we'll be holy. No, sin was never about behaviors. It's always a heart issue. So um, the sin is about the heart. If, if the devil um, can get to your heart by getting you to watch Channel 555 at, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning, then great, he'll use that. But ultimately, his goal is not Channel 555 at 2 o'clock in the morning. Ultimately, his goal is your heart. And if he can use that to get there, he'll use that to get there. If he can use something else, he'll use something else. But how many of you know there is a constant battle uh, between good and evil for, for your heart? And God, God is after the same thing. It's no different. He is after your heart. So... Uh, the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality, it's holiness. 
just like the opposite of any sin is holiness, just like the opposite of gossip and slander is not a tame tongue, it is holiness, okay? So our goal is not uh, to change someone's behavior to get them to be heterosexual. That is not our goal as a church, and we've come up short, short in that area, thinking that if we can just change this certain area. I've heard stories about dads, and they see that their son is struggling with pornography or struggling with gay, you know, the gay lifestyle, and so they slap a, a Playboy magazine subscription in front of them and think that that's going to solve the problem. Okay, First of all, God doesn't heal one sexual immorality with another. Okay, Come on, somebody. That's not how he works. He heals somebody by filling them up with so much holiness, with so much of his spirit, that man, the taste of sin is just repulsive. After a while, it's like, I don't want that. I don't crave that. I don't need that because I have something so much better on the inside of me. All right. So um, number three, uh, regardless of the spectrum, I'm I'm sorry, don't write that down. That's not number three. Uh, I just want to... I'll preface it, um, regardless of the spectrum of where um, the homosexual is, whether they're the person who doesn't believe in God and morality is a free-for-all, that's one, you know, that's one, please don't use scripture to minister to that person because that's not going to apply and that they're not going to understand that. Um, it's, not, it's not relevant to them. They don't believe in God. Or the person who maybe does believe in God, but they've dabbled with it and, and, and they realize that, that there's no, no peace in that lifestyle. Regardless of the spectrum, we still treat them the same way. We still treat them with love. We, how would you treat your friend who was sleeping with their girlfriend? Or how would you treat you know, your girlfriend who was sleeping with her boyfriend? And why do we take that sin and we embrace it and it's okay and we totally get it, we totally understand. But then if it's a homosexual sin, we're like getting homophobic, which leads me to number three. The church needs to stop being so homophobic, okay? If we go back to, uh, <laughs> and make no apologies, uh, if I go back to Romans chapter 2, um, we read chapter 1, but right after that, a lot of pastors or, or preachers would stop and, and just say, you know, um, homosexuality is a sin and we gotcha, you know? But no, if you read on, it actually talks about the person pointing the finger. It says, you may think, Uh, chapter 2 verse 1 you can condemn such people but you are just as bad and you have no excuse when you say that you are that they are wicked and should be punished you are actually condemning yourself for you who judge others do the very same things and we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things since you judge others for doing these things why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that it is his kindness that intended you to turn from your sin? All right? We have become pretty good as a, as a church. And when I say as a church, I don't mean this church. I mean the church as a whole at judging outward sins. I'm really tired of seeing Christians who can walk out of a service and they see the person smoking a cigarette and they give their friend a little nudge or they make a joke about it or you can tell by the look on their face like, what are you doing here? I'm sorry, but the last time I read my Bible, the best place for a sinner to be is in the house of God. We should be rejoicing that there are people who don't have it all together that want to come, that want to experience His grace, that want to experience his mercy. The church is not a place for people that can congregate together with the most willpower, amen? Because if it was, and we could just white-knuckle it, um, the church would just diminish and diminish and diminish until there was two really, you know, people that were like, oh, just stay strong, just stay strong. But the reality is we all fail. It's not a place where we can segregate people that don't have more willpower. We just simply flat-out need the grace of God in our lives because without it, we will fail time and time again. The best place for a sinner is in church. 
we need his grace. Also, uh, Jesus, um, he ate with the sinners and the tax collectors. You guys all know the scriptures. He was there right there with them. He was befriending them. He was loving them. He was criticized for that, but he didn't care anyways because his love was for people. He came, it says, for uh, not the healthy. He came for the sick. Come on, somebody. He didn't come for the person who says, I have it all together and I don't need anything. He came for the person who says, I've been trying to work on this issue all my life. I can't get it right. Like the woman with the issue of bleeding who was bleeding for 12 years. I've worked on this issue. I've been an outcast. I've been scorned. I've suffered persecution and shame and embarrassment. And I I have nowhere else to turn but you. And somewhere from some Christian, from somebody, she heard that maybe if she just reached out and touched the cloak of Jesus, man, she would be healed. She would experience that. She would experience that healing. Now, I don't want to give you the impression that if you come to Jesus, it's this automatic, you know, walk in the park. That's not the reality. But the truth is, without him... It's a lot worse. Come on, somebody. Without him, man, I will fail and I will stumble and I will fall and I'll be very confused. Um, people are not projects. We can't change them in the church. I think this is one of the areas where the church or Christians have gone wrong um, in so many ways is that they've really tried to treat people as projects. Okay, They've tried to get them, let's say, um, you know, to come to church. Well, I've got this great girl for you to meet. or you know, And, and this is like... Um, like putting, you know, the pornography in, in, in front of them or like trying to introduce them to the pretty girl, okay? This is like giving the anorexic a piece of filet mignon and just saying, well, it tastes so good if you would just try it, okay? That's not going to work. We need to stop trying to play the role of God and trying to change people, okay? We embrace them and love them regardless of if they change or not. And that's the big issue is Christians who take people on as projects and then guess what? They don't change, and then the Christian's all frustrated, and then all of a sudden there's just this big rift in their relationship because expectations weren't met. Well, guess what? It was never your job to change them to begin with. So we need to stop pe- treating people like projects, okay? Only God can change the heart. The reality is you could probably get them to change all their behaviors, but the reality is their heart never changed if they didn't experience a true touch from Jesus, so their behavior's just going to go back to what it was to begin with. The last time I checked in my Bible, it says go make disciples, not go make heterosexuals, okay? Okay, so come on, somebody. We need to begin to shift our perspective on this issue and be able to relate to people in a healthy and biblical and loving way. That doesn't mean we need to compromise what we believe in. That doesn't mean we need to water down the truth of the Word of God or fall into false doctrines. All that means is that we need to do a better job of loving people, of embracing people, of accepting them regardless of if they change or if they meet up to what our agenda was to begin with. I don't care. Let's befriend people. Let's love people because they are people and Jesus cares about people, okay? Come on, somebody. Um, I am tired of the gay community being so good and embracing, but yet, um, you know, they can come to a church and it's the last place they feel like they can open up to about their struggles. We need to begin to change this and shift the culture where uh, people like Jen get up and they're honest and they're vulnerable and they're real about their struggles, and therefore they open up that door so that other people feel like they can be real and honest and vulnerable about our struggles so that we can come together and say, guess what? You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Let's start a church, okay? Let's gather together on Sunday mornings, and let's all talk about how much we need Jesus, okay? And let's get refreshed and encouraged. And if we need to have a service on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, we'll do that. But we'll do it because we recognize our need for his grace and mercy in our life, not our need for a little bit more willpower, okay? So number four, are people born gay? A very common question, all right? Psalms 51 verse 5 says that, 
Um, surely I was sinful from my mother's womb. I was sinful even from birth. So that tells me something. From birth, we have a, a tendency or this desire inside of us to rebel from God a little bit or to be a little bit selfish and say, I want what I want and I want it now, okay? I have a three-and-a-half-year-old and I have a ten-month-old. And how many of you know that they want what they want and they want it now? And it's a process to get them to realize, hey, let's not be selfish. Let's, let's think about somebody else. I can't remember what it was she was doing the other day and she was just totally thinking, oh, I was trying to pray for the Brinkmans and I was saying, let's just pray for the Brinkmans and she's like, I want ice cream. And I'm like, no, 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 let's take a moment and let's not be selfish, but let's think about somebody else and what they're going for. And let's, and she's like, no, I just want ice cream. <laughs> Mommy, I just want ice cream. You know the look, you know the look. She, she's three and a half, but she's got this little attitude and she's sweet about it. She doesn't realize how it comes across, but maybe it's, maybe it's from mommy and maybe I need to check my <laughs> expressions in the mirror there. <laughs> Okay. Um, the reality is many men struggle with uh, not feeling masculine enough, and then many women struggle with not feeling feminine enough. And the reality is there is an adversary out there who would love to be able to twist and contort that and say, well, um, you know, it's actually because you're this way. It's actually because, you know, you're not good enough, or it's actually because of this or because of that, rather than just having it be, you were born with a unique and dynamic personality. As I was doing research, I found that even though it was a small majority of the men who considered themselves sensitive, uh, we see that in Jacob and Esau. We see Jacob, was a, it says he was a quiet man who dwelt among the tents, and he was with his mom cooking stew while, while his brother Esau, who was a hairy man, and he had a taste for wild game, and he liked to hunt and fish. Does that mean Jacob is gay? No, that just means Jacob had different interests. And, and as I was doing my study, I was talking about how um, sensitive men are like the world changers. These are like the visionaries. They will be your boss. They are creative and intelligent. It turns out they're much more smart smarter um, than kind of the rough and tough man because they like to spend time uh, reading books and they like to learn and all of those things. So um, Bill Gates, um, Martin Luther King, um, I'm not saying that this is um, necessarily a good thing, but he did have a leadership ability on his life that was perverted by Hitler. Um, and then also uh, Billy Graham as well. There's a lot of just world, uh, world changers that were like this. Um, but of course, of course, if they have this incredible calling on their life, of course the enemy is going to want to come in. The Bible says the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Okay, he wants to rob you of the greatness that's inside of you. The reason why the enemies come after you so hard in this area, I truly believe, is because God made you so unique. God made you special. He didn't want you to be like everybody else. He wanted you to be a leader. He wanted you to be set apart and different for a specific purpose that you and only you can fulfill. How many of you know there are people in your life, they won't listen to anybody else, but they will listen to you. There were people that you were meant to lead. There were people you were meant to speak into their life. There were people that you were meant to be a living epistle. The Bible talks about we're living epistles, that our lives can be like the gospel. Because how many of you ever heard, some of it is, maybe you're the only Bible that they're ever going to read. But if they watch your lifestyle and they walk you, watch you walk out with that peace, and that joy and that abundance in your heart just like Jen talked about how her friends and she saw that they had something she had never seen before it was like this they were having the, the most fun at the party but they were the most sober and she never seen that before because she had never experienced that, that kind of abundance that kind of uh, just greatness that was rising up on the inside of somebody that was just joyous without being intoxicated Okay, we might not choose what we are tempted by, but we can choose whether or not we give in to those temptations. I believe every single person that is born on this earth it has uh, 
And I'm not saying it's not a curse, it's not whatever, it's just simply the fact that we're humans and we have to fight the good fight of faith, but we all have something that we struggle with. We all have something that we battle with. We all have something, and, and now um, Ted Haggard, after his big scandal, was really criticized because um, he said like a month later, I'm totally heterosexual, I don't have any more problems, any more tendencies, like it's just gone, you know, God totally healed me. Well, that's great, but at least give credit to the people who have to walk that out on a daily basis. Don't make it sound like it's a walk in the park and that God will heal you in an instant. Yes, he does that. I'm not diminishing the power of God. For some people, awesome. That's great. Praise God. But for the reality is the majority of people have to walk out their, their, their salvation with fear and trembling on a daily basis. And never said it was going to be easy. I'm not painting the picture that it's like totally, you know, ridiculously hard. The Bible says his grace is sufficient for us. His power is made perfect in our weakness. It also said that he didn't give you a temptation that he get, didn't give you the strength to stand up underneath. Uh, how many of you know I like to, to quote that scripture when I ever feel tempted about something? Man, he didn't give me any temptation that he didn't give me the power to stand up underneath. So I claim that power right now in the name of Jesus and I begin to claim God's grace over my life because how many of you know we can't do it on our own? Number five, God has a plan for the homosexual. All right, I'm tired of hearing stories when I minister to people or Jen, um, you know, talked about how in Hillcrest they'll be like, well, does God really love me? Because my Christian friend told me that. Okay, don't let some selfish, you know, uh, you know self-righteous, uh, misinformed Christian tell you that God doesn't love you and that you're going to hell. No, 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 that is not the truth. That is a lie from the pit of hell. God has a plan for your life. God loves you. God has set you apart for a purpose. Come on, somebody. He died for you to save you from your sins and not just to save you from your sins but to begin to help you to walk out your destiny to begin to help you to walk out the purpose that he put inside your heart come on he is a good god he is not trying to uh to cast anybody into the pit of hell he's trying to save our lives come on the enemy has kept uh, the homosexual community in a lot of guilt and a lot of shame and a lot of condemnation um, not only that, but there are parents that don't quite know how to handle the issue, so they just flat out disown them a lot of times, or they just outcast. Or there's double standards in the Christian family where they'll have the, the, the daughter who's sleeping with her boyfriend in one room, but the gay, the gay son who's completely outcast from the family, all right? That's a double standard because uh, fornication's fornication, <laughs> all right? It's the same thing. Uh, but, but, but as Christians, sometimes we get homophobic, and not even as Christians, just people in the world just don't know how to deal with this issue. And so not only do they have the shame and the guilt and the condemnation that the enemy has put on them, they have uh, this oppression from Christians, they have oppression from their parents, and therefore a lot of the suicide rates in the gay community are just skyrocketing because there's so much pressure. But how many of you know we want to make the church a place where they feel comfortable and loved and acceptance, and, and we all begin to congregate together and begin to say, hey, I'm not perfect either. And we can just be real, people. Let's just be real about our struggles. Let's be real about the fact that we're all sinners. We've all fallen short. We all need Jesus. Come on, somebody in our lives. We all need his grace. Um, God has a plan for your life, regardless of if you've dabbled in homosexuality or maybe you're just here and you're you know, a Christian and, and you just wanted to maybe learn more about how to minister to somebody. Whatever walk of life that you're from, um, God has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life, and he loves you so much that he died for you. Um, back in Romans, at the end, it says... Uh, 
Can you not see that it is his kindness that intended you to turn from sin? It is his kindness that leads us to repentance. How many of you know judgment and criticism and condemnation that never works? Have you ever, ever in your life seen somebody get saved from one of those bullhorn preachers that are saying, that are saying turn or burn or that are saying you know, hateful things? Have you ever seen somebody go up and say, you know what? You're right. I'm just going to repent right now. I have never seen any fruit come from any of those ministries because the reality is, is their foundation it is not in love, okay? And I'm not saying all of them. Maybe some of them are a little misled about some things. But the reality is we want to be a church that rises up, that we're not afraid to be real about our issues. We're not afraid to say, hey, I need the grace of God in my life. And what I want to say is that... Um, Our goal is not to convert the homosexual to heterosexual. Our goal is always to point people to Jesus.